Anish, Gudi Referen Er on Ina Shahoon. The two referendums which voters will be asked to decide on this coming Friday, March the 8th. Jennifer Bray is political correspondent with the Irish Times. She's joins me now on the line. Good afternoon to you, Jennifer. Good afternoon. Uh, six days out from polling, what can we expect as the campaigns get into the last few days? Will we see an increase in the... Act- I suppose we can't but but see an increase in the activity uh, that uh, on what we've seen heretofore. I would expect so, yeah. I mean, we are entering the final week of the referendum campaign. I think it's been pretty low-key so far. Uh, I think what you'll see in the next couple of days will be the yes and no sides, both doubling down on the arguments that they've already made over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think you'll see more government politicians out and about advocating for a yes vote. You'll see NGOs and other organisations holding their final press conferences. Um, And I think a lot of people in the next couple of days will sit down and decide whether to vote yes or no, because up to this point, there is evidence that a lot of people just haven't engaged. We did a poll in the Irish Times uh, in early February which at that stage showed that more than half of all voters, 53%, said they knew hardly anything at all about the referendums. And 36% said they knew a little about them. And only 8% said they knew a lot. So at that stage, there was a huge number of people who weren't really sure what these proposals were. And I think in the next couple of days, both sides will do their best to cut through to the public and get their arguments through um, before polling day on Friday. All right. In terms of engagement, is there anything to be read from the number of people who've registered to vote? Because turnout is going to be one of the key things, isn't it? Turnout, yeah, this is something I was trying to get a handle on over the, the last week. And it's just it's just impossible to actually find out exactly or to, to get your head around exactly where turnout will be. You don't really know. You don't know until the day. But I did ask the Electoral Commission and the Department of Housing what kind of numbers they've seen register. So obviously now we've switched from the previous system where we had a supplemental register. Now we have a new rolling register, which you can uh, apply to. And since the government announced the referendum date, so they announced that last December the 5th, up until the date that the for the deadline for applying, around 110,000 people applied to the register. Now, this does not mean that all 110,000 people who applied uh, additionally will actually vote, obviously, in the referendum. And some of them could have just been updating their details. But one interesting figure was that in the final 48 hours before the deadline, 37,000 people applied. So that would give you an indication that people did want to get their names down um, before uh, the deadline closed. So we'll we'll see at the weekend of the government. They don't say it out loud, but what they are really hoping for is anything above 35%, which obviously is low, but it gives you an indication of how they feel the public have been captured or rather not captured by this referendum. Right. Do we know anything about the undecideds then, finally? There's a huge number of undecided people. Um, and I think that even in, in terms of our poll, it showed that, you know, the vast majority of people over, I think it was around 56, 56% of people said they'd vote yes. But of the people who were better informed, they were more likely to vote no. So the better informed people in that poll were, the more likely they were to say actually no. So I think there's a huge number of undecided voters and these will be the people who both the yes and no camps will be reaching out to in, in the final days. I mean, usually in previous referendums, what you would see is in the final week of the campaign, both sides rolling out maybe high profile people to uh, bolster their case. And you might see this in the next couple of days. I know Mary McAleese was out on Friday uh, yesterday and she was advocating for a yes vote. And obviously she would have a very high profile. 
All right. Oh, just, uh, fi- finally, that I suppose in order to roll out the, the final days of the campaign, people need money. Uh, the Irish Times today, or the paper you work for, is uh, is running a story on the, the, the relative war chests of the yes and no side. Uh, what, what what did you find? Yeah, it's interesting. So the yes, yes side, uh, you know, government parties uh, and so on, they have, like you said, a war chest of around 144 thousand sure which is vastly larger than the spending planned by the opposing side from by my estimations on the no side i can only really account for around 20,000 euro worth of spending and even those costs might not actually be fully spent even if they are allocated it's not, that's not really that surprising when you think that all the government parties are campaigning for a yes obviously and that the vast majority of the opposition are also campaigning for a yes so it's not overwhelmingly surprising, but even in comparison to previous referendums like the abortion referendum, the same-sex marriage referendum, the spending is way, way down. Okay. All right. Jennifer Bray, political correspondent with the Irish Times. Grimil Mahagut. Um, Senator Pauline O'Reilly, your Green Party Director of Elections. It's a stay with the money first. For any organisation that's in receipt of taxpayers' money, do you think people who belong to those organisations should campaign either during annual leave or in their own time so there's clarity about how the money has been spent? I mean, the, the, it's for those organisations to answer the questions as to how they spend money, but I will say that they have been quite clear that there is a separation from state funding as to what they're using Amazing. Um, but I mean, we'd be the same. You know, you you have to be careful about what you're what you're spending your money on and where those sources of money are coming from. Um, but you know, obviously, the vast majority of organisations in the country need some kind of financial support. It's not that the government is paying them; it's that the state is supporting them. And I think what's what's happening here is that the vast majority of organisations are supporting a yes, yes, and the vast majority of political parties, as we outlined, I think Pathers Party is the only party not supporting it. Um, but even if you're to look at, say, the funding that we in the Green Party are spending, it's it's actually um, quite small. It's it's as much as we can afford, but it's quite small compared with even one independent on the no side who seems to have gathered something like 40,000. So look, at, there are differences in funding. Um, I can't answer for okay. other people. We're spending as much as, as we can in order to inform people. But we think that it's really, really important. I mean, it's really, really important that a document such as the Constitution is, um, you know, based on equality, is based on um, in all family types and gives recognition to the valuable, um, important work of caring in society. And, and that's that's all this, all right. this constitutional okay. well, referendum does. Well, in terms of equality, I mean, I'm sure you concede people who are in a caring role are considerably disadvantaged in society. Many people wanted stronger wording on the state's uh, efforts to support people who are in a caring role. How do you answer the charge that this referendum doesn't go far enough and can't be used by them in court to achieve any greater benefit the day after the referendum passes, if it passes? Well, you know, the non-partisan electoral commission has said that the that the wording that's already in the constitution which is endeavor is weaker than the wording put being put in which is strive and that's one thing that i would say but i think people should should read that for themselves what the electoral commission is saying but i mean for 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 me um and for i'm listening to carers and um i'm listening to the family carers ireland for instance and i think it's really important that what they have said is this is our referendum for the first time care in the family is going to have a recognition it's going to say we recognize that in this in the constitution at the moment it isn't recognized what's recognized at the moment is 
mothers in the home and um, an implication that you would neglect your okay. duties outside. So it's 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 much more significant and much more important. And for the first time ever, it puts an onus on the state to strive to support the okay, care. All right, I, I want to go to, to Catherine Connolly on this. Um, Catherine Connolly, you've argued, as have other uh, campaigners on the no side, against this care amendment on the basis that there is been a burden put on families or there would be a burden put on families to be the primary providers of care, letting the state off the hook. Uh, there's a question and answer with uh, Justice, Miss Justice Marie Baker in the Irish Times today uh, and she likens the proposed, referen- or proposed amendment to the women's ref- uh, uh, current provision for women in, in the home. It's a, and she says, there is no obligation to care of, on women to care for their families in the existing law and no obligation to mothers to try and stay at home rather than go out to work. Equally, there will be no obligation under Article 42B on family members to care for one another. Does that address your concerns? No, it does not. And just let me say a few things. I'm not sure how long, but it's my first time actually speaking on this on the RTE or Wavis. And why I'm voting no and advocating a no vote for this, and I regard myself as a feminist, a mother and a female TD. The existing, first of all, there was no pre-legislative scrutiny on this to tease out the issues. That was waived by a majority of the committee on a request from the minister. Secondly, there's a case pending that has been put back, a Supreme Court case in relation to a full-time carer. And her case is that she's getting a reduced carer's allowance. And the High Court held against her and it's gone to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has stated when they allowed it bypass the Court of Appeal to go to the Supreme Court, they said the court further notes that the present case raises issues of systemic importance for the carers of severely disabled children. And that raises specifically Article 41. Thirdly, Following the very strong recommendations Sorry, from ju- the ju- just to be clear, what your concern is there, you would rather have had a ruling from the Supreme Absolutely. Court, is it, before a referendum was proceeded Absolutely. with? Absolutely. Okay, and, and, and your other and point, actually, sorry. Yeah. I, I have concerns that it's not the most appropriate case because it's very technical in relation to regulations, but it's important to say that the article that we're talking about features strongly in it. Okay, and, in, and your it, other point? In relation to the Citizens' Assembly and the Cross-Party Committee, they made very strong recommendations that talked about the protection of carers within and outside the family. The government haven't followed those recommendations. Fourthly, following those two entities, the government set up an interdepartmental committee in uh, April of last year. That interdepartmental committee sought submissions. We don't know from whom because we've no information on it. And since then, we've heard nothing. I've asked two questions and for any report that was concluded from that interdepartmental committee and I've received a reply to tell me I can't get it because it would interfere with the principles of McKenna and the um, Crystal principles. My personal other issues in relation to this, um, the senator outlined part of the article that's going to be taken out. But it's important to read both parts and it's important for the people listening to understand that this is what's been taken out of the Constitution without debate. The woman, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. That's going. 
The second part is also going, which I think is particularly important. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged to work outside of the home because of economic necessity. Now, there have been many, many attempts since 1993 to give proper wording to replace this gender-specific language, which I agree should be taken out. And one that appealed to me was that that wording, mother and uh, Uh, mother and woman should be replaced by parent because the concept behind that both parents shouldn't be forced to work in other words one parent shouldn't be one at home and one outside recognising the importance of of that in a family just just let me finish I know but in the interest we have to give equal time and I need to get a response from Pauline I understand that but the point is that that's been taken out with what is a waffly a replacement that we recognise the care given to each other by reason of the connections between us within a family. They're privatising the care and they're mixing up two things. Okay. A parent I, 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 is not just a carer. I, there I, are do, two I, do, I do have okay. to get a response okay. uh, from, from Pauline O'Reilly on that. Catherine Connolly raises two issues there. One of them is, is or she raises a number of issues. One of them is the process and the other is the level of information that was provided and then our third concern is on the text. Okay. But on, on the process point... No, I, I just I just have to say, like I'm, I'm a, I was a member of the Gender Equality Committee. I was the vice chair. Ivana Batchik was the chair, and every member of our committee, bar potentially Ronan uh, Mullen, I don't know, every member of our committee is supporting a yes yes vote um, on the basis of what we've seen coming back from government based on our report. Some people may want to go further, but everybody uh, that I know. Um, in this field. Most lawyers, the Law Society came out yesterday and I think unfortunately what Catherine has done is quite early in this, she she has said that um, she believes that the interpretation of the constitution by the state, by, by the courts, a woman in the home would also have to be interpreted as a man or a woman in the home, whoever's the primary caregiver. And actually, and has said that it hasn't been tested in the courts, it has been tested. And over multiple court cases, the... Um, the, the Supreme Court has found that it cannot interpret the language in this article more generally, whether that's based on family, whether that's based on carers. It can't interpret it as anything other than what's written there. So it has been tested. I have no expectation that any current court case is going to find anything different. In fact, if no case has since 1937, I think we can't just say, let's pause any progress, let's pause equality for the moment, let's not care about gendered language in the Constitution. I was a stay-at-home mother for nearly 10 years. I know full well um, that it didn't oblige the state to give any support. And for the first time now, there is a stronger obligation, but not just on those in the home, but on family care in general. And I think that's the important bit, that the state has to show legally following this, if it passes, that it is doing more on an ongoing basis, basis, progressively doing more. I'm thinking of respite. I'm thinking of all different forms that actually people um, should be entitled to. I firmly believe that. And the state over a long period of time has not done enough it's really important to send that signal now. Okay, all right. Well, we've, we've, we've been uh, keeping keeping an eye on the times. There's been equal time given there. We're going to go to a break and look at the other aspects of the referendum after this. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.
Hello again. Uh, we're going to stick with the issue of referendums. We're going to look at the uh, family referendum. The family referendum describes the family as being one uh, based on marriage. The proposal is to change that on marriage or other durable relationships. Padre Tobin, um, the definition of a durable relationship has been a concern for you. You're advocating a no vote on this. Turning again to that question as an answer uh, session with uh, Miss Justice Marie Baker in the Irish Times today. She says that uh, any constitutional interpretation will read the words in context and that case law has identified such durable relationships as committed, intended to last, presented as such in society and treated as such by people. The definition of marriage and constitution between two people will not be changed. Well, in our era, Nilis again, you cut a spree let on on term uh, durable relationships. Nilis again, realtors cut a spree. August Nura Curran, Mitch Cash, there in realtors, Nilsi done a ragger to curb. I asked Thomas uh, Byrne, for example, a government minister, can you be in an undissolved uh, marriage at one with one person, and also be in a separate constitutionally recognised marriage equivalent durable relationship? Uh, with a second person at the same time and he said yes and actually it's interesting that Roger Gorman was asked the same question uh, by the Irish Independent and he didn't give an answer yes or no but he says it depends on the magnitude of the durable relationship Sure but I suppose what I'm asking is is that even if those two relationships exist in parallel what Miss Justice Baker is saying the courts might decide the different treatment is perfectly legitimate in terms of treating a durable relationship and a marital relationship different uh, or that it does not sufficiently recognise the dur- or so basically she's saying that uh, there has been she's saying that because of the provisions that marriage would still enjoy a particular status that the courts could uh, decide in favour of marriage. Well, well, first of all, it's important to say that durable relationships is being put into the constitution as a constitutional family. And that means it's the natural, primary and fundamental unit group of society. It will have inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to all positive law. Now that might not mean much to people. What it means is that it has a significant constitutional uh, uh, placing and as a result, people will be able to achieve rights on the basis of that as a result of court cases. Now, all we're saying to people is, shouldn't people have a right to understand what they're actually voting on before the referendum? And if the government ministers are actually contradicting each other, if the Taoiseach and, and, and Roger Gorman are contradicting each other in terms of the understanding of these words, well, that's the wrong way to go about democracy. Okay, it's I, reverse I, I democracy. I want to get Pauline O'Reilly's uh, response on this. The issue of a durable relationship, The, uh, the one of the amendments proposed by Senator Michael McDoodle was to add the words as defined by law. That re- um, amendment was refused. But do you accept that this argument about what a, what is a durable relationship has gone on throughout the campaign and will now be tested in court and, and you can't give an answer to that? I think what I'd accept is that the vast majority of people don't agree with that, but that when you're coming up to a referendum, the broadcast media has to give 50-50 to both arguments. And so it may appear that there is the same weight. And Michael McDool's not here, but I fundamentally don't agree with him. And I'm also a lawyer, but I don't want to get into this lawyers over and back and over and back. No, but I just want to, on the issue of equal time being given, the idea is that the constitution is going to be changed and it has to be assumed that people haven't made their mind up yet. So arguments for and against are treated on the merits of the arguments about the law. Absolutely. And, and But I, what I 
think is what we need to do is to simplify this because the the idea of a constitution as laying out every definition there is that that's not what it is i mean people should take Some a look at the pe- no pe- interruption people please. should take people should take a look at the size of the constitution versus the amount of legislation that there is it's not the job of the constitution to to um define everything what it is is to say our values say that we believe that the 42% of children who are born outside marriage are also in families, a lone parent and their child, grandparents who um, are in in a family where they are caring for their grandchildren, Um, cohabiting couples, as we've seen in the O'Mara case, where the court found they couldn't see that a man whose partner had died after 20 years was actually in a family. So all of these things, that's what the examples are. And the the court's look at actually okay, what's that, the reality that's, that's, that is our lot we have to we have to uh, call time on it because that's our lot for today 